to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we are finishing the sermon series I began about two months ago. We've had a couple of breaks in there with some special guests and such. But the sermon series I started about two months ago is called Experiencing Financial Freedom. Experiencing Financial Freedom, Managing Your Finances God's Way. We've talked about a number of topics. If you've missed any of them, you can watch them or listen to them online or listen to them on our podcast or website. But previously, we talked about how to get into financial trouble. Not that anybody wants to, but if we know how we got in, we can avoid it, maybe. Even more importantly, we talked about how to get out of financial trouble. And then we had a sermon that had the same title as the series, Experiencing Financial Freedom, which is basically practical, biblical principles on how to handle your finances in such a way that it can lead you to basic stability and peace in your financial issues. All right? No guarantee of anything because this world's a mess, all right? But in light of everything, God wants us to experience security and peace with our financial issues. And then last week, I talked about God's giving plan. And today, we're going to wrap it up with a sermon I've entitled, Don't Be a Fool with Your Finances. Don't I hear some chuckle back there, chuckles. How many of you have ever done something foolish with your money? We all can raise our hands. We all might could make a list. Why is it that it's so easy to see somebody else doing something foolish with their money almost immediately, but we don't recognize it in ourselves until after we've already done it? I've told the story before. I won't tell it again today about the, I think it was like $3,000 vacuum sweeper that we purchased. And this was like almost 30 years ago. So that was almost the cost of a car back then, but it, not quite. Thankfully, recognize the foolishness really, that's a good salesman, just telling you, but uh, recognize the foolishness pretty quick and we gave it back and didn't suffer in any way within a day or two. But perhaps it was buying something you didn't really need with money you didn't really have, but you did it anyway. Perhaps it was spending more than you should have on something. Perhaps it was buying too big. And you can fill in the blank. Too big of a house, too big of a car, too, too big, too fancy, too much. You know, you went out shopping for something you needed and that next level or the next level or ne- was so appealing or the salesman was so good and you spent more than you should have on that particular thing or maybe just buying stuff you didn't really need but you just really wanted it and later it's like that. Anyway, we've all been foolish with our finances and we've talked about the, some of those things as we've gone along as we talked about the biblical principles to keep from doing that. But today, I want to focus more on... Um, a lifestyle more on a heart issue than on a specific thing that can cause us and that can lead us into being foolish with our finances. So today we're talking about don't be a fool with your finances. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12 in just a moment. Then a little bit later on, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, I have to warn you ahead of time, and if this is your church home, you've heard me say this before, but some of you... You're relatively new, or maybe those of you that are watching online, some of you may be relatively new, so i got to explain this. Both of these passages talk about rich people. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. 
Those of you that this is your church home, you know I harp on this quite often whenever it's appropriate. We are rich. I can't speak for a hundred percent of people in this room or a hundred percent of the people that are watching online or listening to this later because I don't know your specific situations, but compared to most of the people throughout history and compared to most of the people around our world today, excluding America, we're rich. We're rich. We don't think we are because we compare ourselves to people like Bill Gates or the owner of Amazon or these big corporations or, or whatever, but we are rich. And I just want to tell you that wherever you find yourself in that situation, that according to the Bible, a person who is rich is basically somebody who has more than they need. I heard a preacher one time, he was talking about how we're so rich. He says, you know what? We're so rich because we have a car. We laugh because we're so used to having a car. Some of us have two. In our family. You know, most of the world don't have cars. And not only do we have a car, but we have a house dedicated just for our car. It's called a garage. And sometimes it's big enough to hold two cars. And we're so rich that we got so much stuff, we put it in the garage. Our cars can't get into their house. And the reason we got so much stuff is because we stop using stuff that still works to get something else that's bigger, better, or clearer, or... I mean, I could go on and on, but I won't. We're rich! So, no matter where you fall compared to somebody else, just keep in mind, the things that we're going to talk about today apply to you. So we're going to talk about two passages that focus on rich people. One who uses their finances foolishly, and one... One actually isn't a description of a, it's not a, a story of a person, but it's a description of a wise rich person, all right? So first of all, we are going to look at the foolish rich person, and we see the story in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verses 16 to 21. And the, the context of this is Jesus has been teaching. You can go back in Luke. He's been teaching a lot. There's thousands of people that have gathered. The, the Bible actually says that. I don't know if he took a break. Maybe it was a bathroom break or something. And somebody interrupts him. Or, or somebody just, he took a pause and somebody interrupted him. But that's where we pick it up. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of thousands. And in verse 13 of Luke 12, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So apparently somebody's father had died and one brother thought he was being shafted. Or maybe the he must be the younger brother because the older brother would have all the authority to do whatever and he has to divide it up appropriately according to their culture. And apparently he's not doing it or not doing it right. And rabbis were considered wise people and they would be appealed to to help people make decisions and make sure things are done right. So he's not being weird or unusual coming to Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher to say, can you help settle this issue? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, the whole crowd, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, a story saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. Real quick, just so you know, in the Bible, when you see the word fool, this doesn't mean necessarily somebody that's stupid. In the Bible, a fool is someone who does not take God into account in his life. Okay? And it has a lot of implications and applications to a person's life when you give no account, no credence, no nothing to God. It says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared... Whose will they be? They're not going to be yours. Verse 21. So, th- so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I want you to notice some things here. If you've been following along with our sermon series or if you just know some basic financial things, this guy did some things right. Okay? Not everything that he did was wrong. In fact, I would say that probably... Um, most of the things that he did were right except for his basic heart motivation, attitude, and focus. Because you see, he planned. You don't get that kind of result from your crops unless you plan ahead. All right? He worked hard. He probably was an owner. He's a rich person, an owner of a bunch of land and had other people working with him, but he had to do his part. He worked hard. And he saved All right. He'd already been saving. Now he's going to save some more. Saving is a good thing. But we see that his attitude and his focus is wrong. And I just want to tell you, you can do a lot of things right with your finances and still make foolish mistakes. And that's why I'm wrapping this sermon series up by talking about this, because you may have been following along and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm either already doing this or I'm going to start doing this. And all these things are great, but Even if you're doing everything right, you've got to watch your focus. So what is it about this man? What is it about this rich person that made him foolish? And I'm going to give you just a a number of characteristics, and we're going to go through them pretty quickly. But the first one is this, is he is self-focused. I said the problem is the focus. Well, he is focused on what? He is focused on himself. Yes, he's focused on his riches. He's focused on his harvest. He's focused on this abundance, but primarily because he's focused on himself and the impact that it can have on him. I want you to notice what he says, and not just what he says, but who he says it to. He doesn't talk to God. Never in this story does God even come in until God says, you made a mistake. Doesn't talk to others. He's talking to himself. Look at what he says. He says, I, six times. Five times he says, my My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. It's all about me. No matter how good we do at applying principles that help us financially, if it's all about me, we're headed down the wrong path. He's self-focused. He's concerned about his own welfare, his own pleasure, his own security. He's not interested in or willing to share or to help others or to do good. You say, well, wait a minute. Where does it say that in there? That very last verse where God says this is somebody who laid up treasure for himself. His focus was himself. He did all the 
great financial things to lay up treasure for himself. Not for God, not for God's purposes, not for other people, not to help, not to share, not to make a difference in the world, but for himself. Self-focused. Second thing is, he sees his riches only as the result of his effort. No mention of God, no mention of anybody else, although other people were probably involved. And God was definitely involved, even though he didn't recognize it. It says his ground produced, let me say exactly what it says, produced plentifully. Who controls that? God does. God made the ground. God put the nutrients in it. God sent the rain. God made the sunshine. He could have done some things to enhance that, but it's mainly God. But nowhere in this story, according to this man and in his attitude and in his comments, does it mention God. He sees his riches, what he's gained as a result of his own effort. Because of that, he's proud. I mean, that word's not used here. But it's quite obvious he's very, very, very proud of himself. And not just in a healthy way. There's a healthy type of pride. But it seems very, very unhealthy. He puts his hope in riches. His life, his present life, his future life is all wrapped up in his riches. In what he has. What he has accumulated. What he is adding to it. And what they could buy. His security. It's all wrapped up in Riches, that's what he's hoping in. He's, he's looking forward to a great future because of what he has and what he has gained. The next thing is he uses his resources for his purposes. For his purposes. Nothing in here about, hey, I got a whole lot of, you know, I would love to read this story and say, man, I got so much and I can't fit them into my barns. I'm just going to give it all away. Or I'm going to go out and help people. Or I'm going to ask God what to do with it. No, it's all about him, and he's using it for his purposes. He's got a perfectly good barn, but it's full, so I'm going to tear it down and build a bigger one. I'm going to store it. I'm looking forward to relaxing, eating, drinking, being merry. The next one is this. He stores up his resources for a short time. Now, in this story, that's literal. I mean, very, very literal, because in this story of Jesus, it says that as soon as he makes this decision, God speaks to him and says, you're a fool, because tonight it's all over. Tonight it's all I mean, he didn't even have a chance to finish all the plans he had for storing it up before his life was over. But can I tell you, even if he had lived another five years, ten years, 15 years, 20 years. He's only storing it up for a short time because he's only storing it up for what he can do with it in this life. Now, I know that's a very easy trap to fall into because we're so used to this is the life. This is our life. This is the only life I know. I'm living this life. And even though we know if we believe the Bible, if we believe in spiritual truths that there is a life beyond this, You know, we will live forever. It's so hard to really grasp that and focus on that. But the thing is, this guy's not even trying. He's storing up his treasures for a short time. And because of that, the last thing I want to point out about him is he loses his resources forever. Everything he accumulated, he loses it, not just because he's going to die, but forever. God says, the things you've prepared, whose will they be? It's a simple story. We don't know if he's got kids. We don't know who his heir is or anything like that. But the point is, it's not going to be yours. Now 
or into eternity. Loses his resources forever. And Jesus finishes that parable by saying, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So whatever this parable means, and there's a lot of things we can draw from it, Jesus is obviously making the point that we should seek to be rich toward God. How can we be rich toward God? Well, that's what we're going to look at in the next passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to an associate, a young man that he adopted early on, spiritually speaking, and helped him to grow in the Lord and trained him to be a minister and all that kind of stuff. And he's writing a letter to Timothy to teach him how to do be better at what he does for God's kingdom and as a pastor and how to take care of problems and deal with people and, and all that kind of stuff. So Paul's writing this letter, but I'll be honest with you, I can't help but wonder if maybe before Paul wrote this letter, at least this part of it, that he was reading Luke's gospel and read this parable about this foolish rich man and he knows that Timothy's having to deal with some rich people in his church that are kind of getting off track because it's almost as if, even though he doesn't refer to this parable, it's almost as if he's giving the exact opposite of the parable. I mean, you could put these things side by side, which is what we're doing today, and have the parable and have this, and it just flows. Don't do this, do this. So let's take a look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 17 to 19. Now, there's some really good stuff earlier in the chapter that we've dealt with earlier in our series about how, you know, people that want to get rich or richer can find themselves in a lot of trouble because they're guided and led and drawn and driven by that instead of what God has for them. That's why where that passage is about the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not the money is, okay? That's earlier in the same chapter. But when we get down to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17... Paul is telling Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, another word for proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I like that part of the verse. God provides stuff to us to enjoy. Got a couple amens. See, is there a catch to that? No. We live in a sinful, fallen world. There's a mess. we got problems. We're going to struggle. There's times we're going to suffer. But God wants us to enjoy life in Him. Unfortunately, though, so many people just stop there, whether they're reading this passage or whether they're living their life, say, well, God wants me to enjoy. That's all I'm going to focus on. And that was what the problem was for the foolish rich guy. So we got to go on and read the rest of it. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. As we take a look at this, we see that the instructions Paul gives to Timothy to give to the rich people in his church are just the opposite of the foolishness of the foolish rich guy in Jesus' parable. Let's run through them really quickly. First of all, Paul calls rich people to be God-focused rather than self-focused. 
I mean, it shows up all the way through. He says, tell the rich people, you know, to put their hopes in God because God's the one that's provided and God's got to work for them to do and God wants to use them and what they've accumulated to do a great thing. To kind of summarize and paraphrase what he says here, he's God-focused instead of self-focused. He encourages the rich people to see his riches as God's provision instead of the result of their own effort like the, the previous guy. He says, tell the rich people, listen, as you're dealing with all this kind of stuff, remember, God is the one that has richly provided it. And we dealt with this last week and in some of the previous sermons too. You know, we, we struggle with that because like, well, I worked hard. You know, I, I go to work every day. I, I worked hard most of my life if I'm retired. You know, I, I work hard to get what I've gotten and there is truth to that. And God calls us to work hard. He calls us to provide for ourselves and our families. That's a very valiant, very good thing to do. Good character trait, to be responsible. But as we've mentioned before, even though we work hard, God is the one who gives us the strength. God is the one who's given us the intelligence. God is the one who's put us in certain places. I mean, none of us uh, had much effect or, or had much um, input into where we were born. Now, I know sometimes we are born in another place and we move to this place and maybe we have more opportunity or ability to, to make something of ourselves here than where we came from. But hey, you got here, right? And I'm sure God had a hand in that because God has a hand in everything that we do. So the wise rich person sees his riches as God's provision, not just the result of his own effort. He calls them to be humble instead of proud, to say, yeah, you may have worked hard and you may be pretty smart, but ultimately it's God. Ultimately it's God. He tells that rich person to put his hope in God instead of in his riches. And I love the phrase that he says here, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. I don't care how much you have, how you got it, where you're at financially, it's still very uncertain. It can be gone so fast. We're used to basic prosperity here in America. If you are involved in life much at all, you've seen the ups and the downs. And if you've been involved for any length of time, you've seen some downs that happen like that. At least it seems that way. But thankfully, we seem to go in cycles, and so we come back out. So if we plan well, do well, we can make it, especially since we're trusting in Jesus. But the point is, is that a wise rich person does not put their hope, their trust, their confidence, the source of their joy and their peace in their financial stability, but in God instead. And that's the biggest thing we have to wrestle with when things have been going really good and then they go bad. God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. You're my father. You're going to take care of me. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I know you're going to take care of me. I'm trusting in you. So the wise rich person puts his hope in God. 
And the wise rich person uses his resources or her resources for God's purposes. Yes, it says that God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but we don't stop there. Along the way, God wants us to enjoy life, but the primary reason he's given us what we have, not just the money we have in the bank, but the things we bought with it, our possessions, our belo- our, 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 our house, our car. he's given that to us to use for his purposes. And a wise, rich person recognizes that. And says, God, thank you. You've blessed me so much. I thank you for what enjoyment I get out of life. And that's part of Thanksgiving. We're entering that season, right? Next week, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. It's, it's great to sit down and say, God, you have blessed me with so much and make a list. God, thank you, 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 thank you. For all the things that I do enjoy in life. But we don't stop there when we go and say, but God, what's your purpose for me? What is it you want me to do? Not just as an individual with the strength I have and the ability to speak and, and, and relationship, but Lord, with what you've blessed me with. How can I be a good steward? We've mentioned that word a couple of times. A steward is someone who takes care of things for somebody else. That's all we are. We're all stewards. We're taking care of things for God because God gave them to us. Uses his resources for God's purposes. And the next thing is this. He stores up or she, her resources for eternity instead of just a short time. And again, no matter how long your life is, you could live to be past a 100. Got some people in our church that have done that. It's still short compared to eternity. And when we follow these instructions, when we live our lives and use what God has given us for his purposes, we're not just storing up stuff for next year because we got a big expense coming up or for five years down the road because we're going to have to buy a new car or for 10 years down the road because we're going to retire or for the rest of our lives because we're retired and we got to make it to the end. But we are actually storing up our resources for eternity. How does that work? Jesus talked about that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, he told people, he encouraged people, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do we do that? We do that by being faithful to God to do what he wants us to do with who we are and what he's given us. So many people live just for today. We've talked about that a couple of times in this series. That's how we get ourselves into trouble. We live just for today. We use our finances and our resources to get what I want right now. We don't plan for the future. Some people live paycheck to paycheck, and when that paycheck gets there, they spend it till it's gone, and I'll worry about the bills at the end of the month when I get to the end of the month. And that's no way to live if you want to have stability and peace in your finances, and I won't re-preach that message. But some people live just for today. Some people are wise, and they live day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, and they do plan, and they do save, and they do have an emergency fund. So when that washing machine breaks down, you got to buy another one. It's not like you could go way in debt to get it. You know, so they do use those things, and that's a very good thing to do. We've already talked about that. But you know what? Even if we do that, and we do not plan for eternity, we miss out. One person this put it this way. Planning for retirement, preparing for life before death is wise. But neglecting life after death 
is disastrous. You know, we talk about making investments for the future, making investments for retirement so you've got enough money when you retire and you can live comfortably, that kind of stuff. But when you re- invest in eternity, you're going to reap benefits forever. The Bible makes it clear that we can't get into heaven by doing good. We can't get into heaven by giving a lot of money. We don't get into heaven because we pray and we don't get into heaven because we try to be kind. We don't get to heaven because we are trying to be good to other people and help them and share with others. Those are wonderful things to do. We get into heaven because we trust in Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross to pay the price for our sinners. Because our sins separate us from God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we only get into heaven by putting our trust in Jesus. But what we do after that What we do with what we have, what we do with what God has given us, tremendously uh, uh, influences what happens once we get there. The Bible just gives us glimpses, but it says that we will be rewarded for what we've done for God. And the Bible also warns that some people, doesn't use this phrase, but some people will just make it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Because they trusted in Jesus, but they didn't really do much else for God. We say, well, I'd rather get to heaven by the skin of my teeth than not. Well, I would too, but I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to what God would say when I get there saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what you wanted me to do. And can I tell you, it's not, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but I feel like I need to say this. It's not like, oh, I got to drudge through this life doing a bunch of stuff I don't want to do. So hopefully eternity will be a lot better. No, when we do what God wants us to do and do what he wants us to do with what he's given us, it brings great joy and peace and satisfaction. All those people clapping have experienced it or they want to. Got a little ahead of myself there. But we all have to wrestle to keep a balance between providing for our needs here and enjoying ourselves along the way because God's word says we can do that, but also sending treasures on ahead. And so the last thing about this wise rich man is that he gets to keep his resources or she gets to keep her resources forever. Because what we send on ahead, it's still ours. You've heard that old saying, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. But there's a second part of that. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can benefit from all that you've accumulated and done with your life in eternity if you set that as your goal. And as you work toward that and you live for that. And so the question I have for us today, and the question is for us, not just for you, is which of these two people am I like? Which of these two people am I like? And to be honest with you, I examine my own heart, and I would say it's probably true for just about everybody that we're a mixture, aren't we? Because we're still human. We still wrestle wrestle with human desires and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if we were to look at this as a spectrum from somebody who's totally foolish with their finances because they live totally and completely for themselves, doing only what they want, and someone who's just 100% out there going just... God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, and you tell me I'm doing it, and, you know, using my finances, using my resources, using my house, my car, whatever I can do for you. You know, where do we fall in that spectrum as we look at these comparisons here? But an even more important question is, which one of the two do you want to be? Because wherever you are, today's a new day. 
You can make a change and go forward following the right path. Let me just give you a couple of important lessons that are kind of obvious, but I just want to put them out there and state them. First of all, a life lived for self is foolish. We're all tempted. We all do it to a degree. But a life lived especially totally for self is foolish. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 35 and 36, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This has an application to money and possessions. You know, if you give yourself totally over to just get, 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 get for me, 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 and you lose your soul, especially in the fact, in the sense of you never turn your life over to Christ and you go to hell, that's a big deal. But you lose the joy of living for Jesus and doing what he's called you to do. That's that's bad too. But especially true of salvation. If we live our lives only for ourselves and we don't surrender our lives to Christ, we don't put our trust in him for our salvation, we can amass the greatest fortune this world's ever known, live in the best houses and have a bunch of them all around the world, go on the best vacations, drive the best vehicles. Well, you don't have to drive because you can have a chauffeur. Have a jet. You can have all those things. But when you get to the end of your life, that's it for you. That's it. That's it. Life lived for self is foolish. Second thing, money and possessions do not determine the quality of life. Why is it, do you think, that we have this desire to have more, 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 bigger, 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 better, better, better? It's because they never truly satisfy. They make us happy for a little while. We want it, we get it. Yay, I like it. We get that new car and then we get that first ding on the door. Ugh. Or our friend that we said, please don't bring your Coke in the car and they did anyway and they spilled it and dropped, got it all on the floor mat. Whatever, whatever it might be, you know. We buy that house, it's exactly the way we want it, but then now we discover we like it a little bit different. So we remodel it, but it gets older and it's got so much upkeep and it's so expensive. You know, again, things, because God wants us to enjoy life as we go through, there are enjoyment in things, but yet not ultimately. Money and possessions do not determine the quality of life. Jesus said in the parable we read, Luke 12, 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, which means greed, for whence life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Covetousness, greed, means to always thirst for more. We, We have to battle against that. The satisfaction does not last. And it doesn't meet our most important needs. Joy, love, peace, those things that last. The third lesson is this. Life is better when you give than when you receive. Life is better when you give than when you receive. Jesus said something like that. The only quote of Jesus that we don't see in the Gospels, and it's in Acts. It's Acts 20, 35. Paul is talking about it. He's talking about meeting other people's needs and stuff. And he says, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and can I tell you that our flesh is, uh-uh, man, I really like getting stuff. You know? But can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with enjoying receiving. We all enjoy that. But a real sign of maturity is when we get more joy out of giving than receiving. And I don't mean because I'm so proud. I'm, I have the capability of giving people stuff and they're going to look up to... No, I'm talking about I see somebody in need. Um, I love somebody. I want to show that love. And we're able to give 
and we get more joy out of that than we do receiving. We're coming up on the Christmas season, a little over a month. Are we more focused on what we might receive or how we might be able to bring joy into somebody else's life? And I word it that way on purpose because we can give joy and bring joy into people's lives more than just buying them presents. I could preach a whole sermon on that, so, but I'm not going to do that. You know, uh, you talk to somebody who's spent a week of vacation going on a mission trip instead of going on vacation. Nothing wrong with vacation. I love vacation. I'm going to go on vacation again because I've done it before and I really like it. But you talk to somebody that takes a week out of their life and instead of doing something for fun that they would just choose to, but they go on a mission trip and they come back and say, oh my goodness. You talk about... Talk to people who've decided to give up some of their personal time that they would normally spend on a hobby or whatever. Again, nothing wrong with those things. You should have some of those things to help you relax. But they give that up to be involved in some kind of activity or event that's going to touch people's lives. And the satisfaction that comes. There is so much more joy and satisfaction that can come by giving yourself away than by just trying to take in. Both are important. Both are good. So much. So much. Getting ready to wrap this up. Some practical application. Comes straight from 1 Timothy. First of all, be generous with your time for God's purposes. 1 Timothy 6.18. The first part says, It's wise, rich people. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. Be generous with your time for God's purposes. What are God's purposes? What God wants done? And that isn't just stuff that you do for and in the church. It includes that. But whatever God wants you to do in your family, whatever it is that he wants you to do in your workplace, can I tell you that you're not just in your workplace to earn a living. You're God's representative there. And you're not just going to school to get an education. You're God's representative there. And you don't just live in your house because that was the only one you could afford or that's the one you chose or whatever, but you're God's representative there in that place. Use what God has given you. In this case, we're talking about time. Not just for yourself, but for what God's called you to do inside and outside the church. I encourage you to get involved in some ministry, inside or outside the church. Look at how you spend your time. How much is dedicated just to make yourself comfortable and happy. And it's okay to do that to a degree. And how much is it used to touch other people's lives and especially to do it for God's purposes. And the second one is this, be generous with your money for God's purposes. He goes on in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Again, God's purpose is what God wants done. God hasn't blessed us with our finances just so we can live the good life. It's so we can make a difference for his kingdom. Yes, we need to spend a good bit of it paying our bills and all that kind of stuff. But when we're like the foolish rich person where we just take all of it to do that because I always want more and bigger and better. We're foolish. Instead, we should say, God, you bless me with this. How do you want me to use this for your kingdom? Give generously. 
to God's work. Whether it's in this church, some other, but give generously. Give generously to ministries that are touching people's lives. Give, we talk about this especially once a year in missions. Give generously to missions. Give generously to organizations that are making a difference. You know, it's really easy when there's a crisis to do that. We hear about a hurricane, especially if it hit our home country. For some of you that are from the Caribbean, to say, I'm going, to, I'm going to give toward that. You know, i got people back there. I'm, I'm going to give. And we've always told you, you see about, hear about a crisis around the world, wherever it might be. If you, you know, make sure you're giving it through an organization. You know that it's going to get there. They're not just skimming 90% off for administration. You know, we as a church, when people give through the church to go through things like that, we give through Convoy of Hope. Somebody gave to the church said, hey, we want this to go help people that are being affected by the war in Israel. I looked it up. Convoy of Hope is there helping the victims on both sides in this conflict, people that are in need. So we always give whatever's given to the church through Convoy of Hope, and you always have that opportunity if you want to do that. But you can do it on your own too. If you believe in the mission and vision of this church and what we're trying to do, because we're not perfect yet, we're trying to do and what's happening in your life give generously here because that's how we're able to do what we're called to do and you might say you know I can't do that where I am financially right now well you start on a plan go back listen to that message on how to get your finances in order and get stable and all that kind of stuff and make sure you don't spend your whole life just becoming stable and happy and your family's doing good and you end up, you've not really done anything for God's kingdom because you're only going to enjoy for such a short period of time, even if it is all the way up to your 85 or 90. Make a difference for eternity. I want to wrap this up by sharing a story. This is a true story. Sometimes I tell you stories and I say, I don't know if this is true or not. I just heard it and it's a really good story. But this is a true one. I read about it in the news in 2012. In June 2012, 69-year-old Walter Samasco of Carson City, Nevada, was found dead in his home. The neighbors had called the authorities because they'd noticed a bad smell coming from his home. And according to the coroner, he died of heart problems at least a month before. No wonder there was a bad smell. People around didn't really know that much about Walter. Didn't know his family. He never had any visitors, anything. So people came in. The authorities came in. It's like, we got to figure out what to do. And so they searched his house and they searched his records and they found out he only had $200 in his bank account. That's it. But they said, well, we need to sell his house and we'll figure out who it's going to go to. They began to gather everything together in the house and clearing it for sale. And they made a surprise discovery. Inside his house and garage was found $7 million worth of gold bars and coins. At the time of the writing of this article, it says, because some of the coins appear to be collector's items, the value could go much higher. Walter left no will and had no apparent close relatives. Like, what are we going to do with this? Well, they found... In his documents, a list of the people that had attended his mother's funeral a couple years before. And they finally tracked down a cousin in California who was going to end up inheriting the entire fortune after the taxes had been paid. That's a true story. What's your first thought after hearing that story? 
I had to admit, one of my first ones, I wish I was his cousin. <laughs> but putting that aside, <laughs> what was this man thinking? Obviously, he didn't do much with it himself. He didn't prepare for the future. Once he left this world, it's just sitting there. Can I tell you, to the degree that we live only for this life, we're doing the exact same thing. We're doing the exact same thing. So which am I more like? The rich, foolish person, or the foolish, rich person, or the wise, rich person? Am I self-focused or God-focused? Am I, do I see my riches as a result of my effort, or do I see them as part of God's provision? Am I proud or humble? Do I put my hope in riches or in God? Do I use my resources for my purposes or for God's purposes? Do I store up my resources for a short time or for eternity? And the result is I will either lose my resources forever or I'll be able to keep my resources forever. So as you wrap this up, financially, you need to take this message and as God lays it on your heart, say, what do I need to do different in my life? What do I need to do different about how I handle my money, what I do with it, whatever? And that's between you and God. As I mentioned last week when I talked about God's giving plan, I'm not going to stand before God and be accountable for what you do with your money. I am for what I will do with mine, but you will. But as we wrap this up, I just want to make this point, and that is that even though I preach this about finances because the texts were about finances, it's about so much more than it's about life. What is your life committed to? Yourself or God? Let's all stand together, please. I mentioned earlier... You can be a good person, bad person by anybody's standards, your own standards, somebody else's standards. You can be rich, you can be poor, you can be whatever. But the most important truth we need to understand is that we are sinners separated from God. But God created us to have a relationship with Him. And there's absolutely nothing we can do about the fact that we don't have a relationship with Him. Unless we take advantage of what God did about it. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, and we're all sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We receive that eternal life as a gift when we turn to God and we put our trust in Jesus and what he did. We repent of our sins. We put our faith in him. And even though I've been talking about finances, you need to apply it that way in your life. I want to conclude today by asking you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? It's not just an issue. It's all invite him into your heart. We word it that way sometimes, and that's fine. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within our hearts, our lives, when we bring him in. But it's an issue of, I'm going to deal with my sin. I can't do it by myself, so I'm going to trust in what God did. And so I'm turning to God and asking to forgive me because of what Jesus did. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put your faith in Him? And before we close in prayer, I just want to ask, are you here today? And you say, that's me. Today, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to put my trust in Him. I'm sorry for the sin that separates me from God, and I want God to deal with it because I can't. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Because I want to pray for you. Anybody at all? All right.
How many of you, like me, because I'm putting my hand up, would say, God, I want to live a much more balanced life. And by that, I mean balanced in that I'm giving the right emphasis to God what you want to do, not what I want to do. Bunch of hands are up. That's how we're going to close in prayer today, that God will help us to do that. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you for your word that teaches us, that guides us, that leads us. And Father, today we've heard about how we can be wise, not just for this life, but for all eternity. And God, we thank you for the many ways in which you have blessed us financially. And, and Lord, with, with, with what we have, our homes, our vehicles, our, our clothing, our food, Lord God, we, we may have various needs, but God, overall, you have blessed us so much. Thank you, Lord. And God, you hear the cries of our hearts say, God, help me to live for you. Help me, Lord God, to enjoy life. And I thank you that you want me to enjoy life. But Lord, help me to enjoy it while serving you and doing what you want me to do with my finances, Lord God, with my possessions, with my resources, with my gifts, with my talents, with my abilities. And Lord, I thank you that as I do that, I'll experience the fullness of your love, your joy, and your peace. And I am storing up riches forevermore. God, I pray that as we go out of this place into our world, it's our mission field. Help us, Lord God, to represent you well. Use us in our homes. Use us in our communities. Use us at school. Use us in the workplace. And Father, I thank you and praise you for all these things, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 